being a black woman abroad has, has really taught me so many things about myself, about the world, about the ways that people navigate the world. But I can't say that without acknowledging the fact that without that American blue passport, which I don't know what COVID is going to do. So this conversation may not even be relevant within the next couple of years. I don't know. But being a Black American, I'm situated in this privileged position, regardless of my skin color. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Flourish in the Foreign, the podcast that elevates and affirms the voices and stories of Black women living and thriving and doing the damn thing abroad. This podcast also explores living abroad as a pathway to wellness, and I'm talking about all types of wellness. We're on that holistic wellness tip, you know? You know what I'm talking about? I'm your host, Christine Job, a Black American woman currently living and thriving here in Barcelona. I'm a business strategist in addition to being a podcaster, and I help Black women and women of color just leverage their talents and their skills into viable and sustainable online businesses. Businesses that make them professionally fulfilled and financially abundant so that when they go abroad or while they are abroad, they can just thrive abroad, right? They can do what they want to do, work with who they want to work with, and thrive abroad. That is me. This is the show. Hello, hello. Welcome back. If you have been rocking with us for a minute, I appreciate you. And hey, hello. If you're new, thank you so much for checking out the podcast. I appreciate you being here. If you are interested in taking your career abroad, you want to go abroad with a job, I'm going to really stress you get in contact with Itia Thomas. Itia is a past podcast guest of mine. You can check out her episode at www.flourishintheforeign.com slash episode slash Itia. That is I-T-I-A-H. And listen to her episode. If you're like, what are you talking about, Christine? Listen to her episode. Yeah, listen to her episode and listen to how she landed in Australia, was going to be an entrepreneur. That didn't really pan out the way she wanted to. So she had to pivot and go back into her career. And she landed a job within her career, construction project management. And she not only got a job, she got a good job, negotiated a great salary, and negotiated residency, which now has led her to get citizenship in Australia. You know, I see some of y'all on Facebook and you guys are asking like, I don't want to do X. I don't want to do Y. Nobody says you have to. No one says you have to do that. You can work within your career. But let me tell you something, okay? <laughs> I did a video about how you can find a job abroad. I think it's a pretty good, you know, primer into like the basics, into strategically finding a job abroad. But let me tell you, the cheat code is working with ITEA because she's done it, okay? I don't understand people who don't want to invest in their future. 
but they they want a lot and they don't want to do anything. I don't understand that. And I know that this audience is all about living a life well lived and it's about making the investments that are needed to do so on their own terms. So that's what this is. That's what IT is all about. She has an amazing and affordable group coaching program that can help you actually get a job within your career abroad. And how about this? Get it done faster than you would do solo. There's just certain things that you got to tap in and get some expert help with. And hey, this is your life. This is your financial wellness. This is your professional wellness. I recommend investing in it, but that's just me. And I know Itia, and I've actually gone through her entire program. She walked me through it, and I was like, yeah. I was very, very impressed. I was already impressed by her as a person, but I was very impressed with her program. So I highly recommend it. Get in touch, though, because her cohort is going to close and then it's not going to open for a minute. If you're really trying to go abroad in 2021, if you're really trying to make it even happen in 2022, let me tell you, start now. I always hear people who are like, is it too early? to? St-? It's not too early to start. Do you know how long it is to go through an immigration process? <laughs> it takes a while, let alone like housing and all the other things, packing up your house, selling things. It takes a minute. It takes a minute for, for the average person. Start now. Start today. All right. You can find information about her program, The Career Upgrade, on the website at www.flourishintheforeign.com slash resources. And of course, in the description of this episode, but also you can find it in the show notes and the link in the bios across all social media channels. Don't take my word for it. She's actually doing free discovery calls, booking a call with Itia. Do it today and you talk to her about it. And if I'm lying, you tell me, okay? If I don't know what I'm talking about, you tell me that. How about that, okay? Booking a free discovery call with Itia today. You talk to her. Y'all let me know what you think. So this podcast is a labor of love, but y'all know it. Labor, nonetheless. It is. And that's why I ask all of you beautiful people to please support this here Black Woman Podcast. Yes, support this Black Woman Podcast. You can do so in so many different ways. Let's go through them, shall we? You can become a Patreon of this podcast at www.patreon.com slash Flourish Foreign. And let's shout out our latest Patreon subscribers. Thank you so much, Jordan. And thank you so much, Ebony. Appreciate y'all for supporting this Black Woman podcast. Appreciate y'all. You can also support this podcast by cash apping the podcast at dollar sign flourish foreign. You can also support the podcast by helping the podcast upgrade the equipment by purchasing an item off our Amazon wish list. And you can find that wish list at www.flourishintheforeign.com/support. You can 
Also, I just want to shout out to some of you who have been just sharing this podcast on Instagram and across social media. I see you. I appreciate you. Please continue to screenshot the podcast and share across social media. I really appreciate it. And it just makes a world of difference. If you have not given this podcast a five-star rating and left a review, please do so. Please do so today. I really appreciate the reviews and I enjoy reading them. So thank you so, so much. All right. So I've given you lots of ways to support this here podcast. And I hope that you have decided to support this podcast in at least one way today. Okay. On to the next episode. Today's episode is with Tiffany Smith. And Tiffany is an educator. She's a doctoral student. She is also a fellow podcaster. She has a podcast called Abroad in Education. I also featured Tiffany on the YouTube channel where we were talking about intergenerational mobility. And if you have not listened to that video, you need to do so. I really enjoyed our conversation because I feel like the discussion of intergenerational mobility is not really talked about at all in the travel or expat spaces, let alone black travel or black expat spaces. She has such nuanced discussions and I find it just intellectually stimulating. I I enjoy it very much. So if you haven't watched that video, definitely go do so. Tiffany has lived and worked in Morocco and in the UAE. And I just feel like her point of view in this space is so refreshingly real. This is the real deal, y'all. But I'm going to let her tell you all about it. My name is Tiffany Lachelle Smith. I am 34 and I'm currently in Ras Al United Arab Emirates. My hometown is Alton, Illinois. And I left the States in 2011. I was working in Casablanca, Morocco, teaching at an American school there. That's the first time I left the country to live abroad. My childhood didn't impact my decision to move abroad at all. We didn't have this amazing upbringing. We grew up in the projects, just very working class family. I would say as far as my opportunities As far as choosing to go to school, I was the only one of my three siblings who decided to go to school. And as a first-generation college student, I would say that I kind of opened the doors to many of the things that my family didn't have access to. One of the amazing things that I always have to share about my mom is after I graduated from university, I think I kind of sparked and inspired her to do things that she didn't have the opportunity to do. So she graduated with her bachelor's degree at 52. So I would say I come from a very, I would say traditional Black family. But what's interesting is my grandfather was in the Air Force, and this is my father's father. And he met my grandmother, and my grandmother actually gave birth to my father in Sevilla, Spain. 
So my dad was born abroad and they lived abroad for a couple of years. But then when they moved back to the States, because of that, always having to move, my dad is very cemented in Alton. He doesn't want to travel anywhere. So much of my upbringing was in Alton. If we did anything, it was maybe road trips, but nothing to the capacity of flying to places and traveling and just leisure travel. So no, my upbringing didn't have any impact on my decision to go abroad. I asked Tiffany to describe to me her university experience, where she attended, what did she study, and if she had the opportunity to study abroad. So I went to Northern Illinois University. It's about five hours north from where I live. I went up near Chicago to go to school. NIU is in a town called DeKalb, Illinois. And it is definitely the sticks. <laughs> it's a farm town. There's corn. Really, it's it's just a college town. That's the only thing that's there. But it was during my junior year that I had the opportunity to study abroad. And I decided to go to South Africa. And it wasn't anything in particular about choosing South Africa. It was the fact that I was an early childhood major. So I wanted my study abroad experience to have something to do with education. So there was this program offered through the School for International Training, Education as an Agent for Social Change, I want to say. And I ended up going to South Africa for a summer for six weeks, and it was an amazing experience. The whole time we were there, the teachers were actually on strike. So this is in 2007, and there was a lot of political protests. And this is not like 10 people holding a sign. This is thousands of people lining up in front of these buildings and demanding higher pay, demanding better resources. They were physically removing students and teachers from schools like, nope, we're not doing that right now. We're trying to make a stance. And the protests in South Africa are very... I just thought it was so interesting because as a university student, one, being in a space where everybody looks like me, and then two, being in a, in a space where comparing it to the States, teachers don't have the option. Well, I have to be mindful about how I say this because in 2007, I would say that I had never seen teachers protest before. So it was my first time being able to see that. But it was very strategic, like they were dancing and they were singing and they were doing all of these jumps and moving and stomping. And it was like a, like a, a, like a step show. <laughs> That's what I have in my mind. But we weren't allowed to go to any of the protests. We couldn't be there because of our safety, of course. And, and we did have homestay family. So the headquarters, the SIT folks that were there did call our parents and were like, yes, keep them in the house. They can't be outside. They can't do this. So it was a lot of surveillance. But the entire six weeks, we were supposed to be going in schools and we were supposed to be engaging with these students, learning about education. And we didn't get to do any of that. So we finally did get a chance to go to one rural school. And that was the amazing part. But the kids barely spoke English. So it was that cross-cultural you know, exchange that I experienced for the first time. But it was amazing because with me having such a common physique to folks in South Africa, they looked at me like, you look like us, but then when I speak with you, you sound different, you dress different. And it was just that contradiction of 
there's a world outside of America. And I had that experience in South Africa. I asked Tiffany, what happened after she graduated from university? Where did life lead her? I, I graduated with a degree in early childhood studies and a minor in Black studies. So my fourth grade teacher, her name is Miss Smith. And even though she's married, I would always call her Miss Smith. <laughs> but during my, during my years in university, I ended up uh, pledging, aka, and my fourth grade teacher is also an AKA. And aside from her being my fourth grade teacher, we've continued our relationship throughout the years. So I don't remember if it was a regional roundup or if it was a boule. I don't remember what it was. So I saw her and, and we were just talking. And the interesting thing is my whole senior year, I had it in my mind that I was going to the Peace Corps. And I had done the application. I had completed much of the medical stuff because the thing about applying to the Peace Corps is it takes so much time because they want your dental records, they want your medical records, they want all of your student loans, who's going to pay this off while you're out of the country. Like it they the process to to apply for the Peace Corps is crazy. So I am getting the end of the I'll say graduation is nearing and I still haven't even started applying for jobs, let alone had any set up because in my mind, I'm going to the Peace Corps. So with me being in early childhood, we always had to do these you no know, student teaching. So at this time, I'm doing my student teaching and I remember many of my many of the folks who were in the program with me having to ask teachers, their cooperating teachers, their mentor teachers, asking principals, offer these letters of recommendation so that they can apply for jobs. And I remember being the person who a principal asked me, would you like me to come and do an observation of you and write a recommendation for you? And I said, no, I'm not teaching. I went through the whole degree, like getting this uh, bachelor in early childhood without an intention to teach. I just had no interest in teaching at all. So I'm going to the Peace Corps. I have it in my mind. So going back to this regional roundup or boule where my fourth grade teacher is there, I'm telling her, I'm like, Miss Smith, yeah, I'm going to go to the Peace Corps, this, this, and this. If you could, <laughs> I still remember her face. It was almost like lips turned, eyes looking like, girl, please. And she said, when you get back to campus, you need to email me your resume. And uh, as soon as you get back to campus, email me your resume. Basically, I applied for a position. She was a principal at the time. So I applied for a position and I ended up getting my first job in Edwardsville, Illinois, near home. And I went home, did not want to be there. I'm supposed to be in Micronesia, the Federation of Micronesia. I had got placed there, but then I ended up getting a job before I even finished the Peace Corps application. So that just didn't pan out. But I ended up going back home. The first year was fine. It was an amazing experience because I was teaching pre-K and, and the first year was great. It went by. I had the novice teacher issues with just learning how to teach and learning how to think about what I'm teaching, all that stuff. But my second year, the district, and this is around the time where there was a lot of pink slipping going on, where, where teachers were losing their jobs with no explanation, budget cuts. If you weren't a good fit, they could just let you go if they wanted to. So it was just a lot of things happening. So they moved me out to the sticks. They moved me out to this, this 
Look, nowadays, I would say a Trump neighborhood. And I was the only black teacher in the school. It was probably about 195 kids. It was a small school. It was a rural school. And I hated it. I hated it. And the parents were so nasty. The teachers were nasty. The the principal was nasty. Everybody was just, I don't know, not welcoming. It's my second year of teacher, so I'm still a novice teacher. I'm still struggling. But it was like that questioning your intelligence. Like, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but I didn't like it. I had I decided to go for my master's degree at that point because I was still living at home with my mom. The teacher's salary, I mean, at that point, I was probably making like 32 or 35, something low. And I just couldn't afford to pay the debt that I had accrued in college. I had a car note so I can get car note and insurance so I can get back and forth to work. I couldn't afford my own apartment at that point, student loans couldn't afford it. So I had to stay home. And just kind of thinking about my life, I was like, I'm just not happy. I'm not happy with teaching. I'm not happy with my career. I'm not happy being back at home. In my mind, I just thought that going to college, going to university, it was supposed to provide me with this, well, now I'll just call it social and economic upward mobility. That's what it was supposed to provide. But when I was actually living it, it was like, okay, so I come from a lower class family. What makes me different from my family is that I went to school. But now the only difference between my family and I is I went to school, but I'm still as broke as I was before I went to school. (laughs) So it was like, now I'm just in poverty with a degree. Like it just, it didn't, it wasn't connecting. Like the American dream was not connecting. So I'm in this master's program and I met this amazing woman, Patty, who's from Brazil. And she's the one who told me about this teaching abroad because I had never heard about it during my teacher preparation program. Nobody had ever talked about it. And over the summers, you hear about these opportunities to like go teach English in China or you see the posters and stuff for that. But nobody had talked about like an actual career of teaching abroad. And at that time, her mom was a principal in Kuwait, maybe. So she tells her mom that I'm interested. And her mom is like, okay, I'm going to connect you with one of my teachers here. And I ended up getting able to talk to one of the teachers who was working in Kuwait. And she was just like, yeah, be prepared to take naps because these kids in the Middle East are different. So that was where the bug came. It, it, it bit me. And I was like, all right. So... At this point, I would say like December, January, because I decided that I was going to start pursuing, just looking into this teaching abroad. But at the same time, the district was pink slipping. So I still remember the day I got a call from my superintendent. They called me out of the classroom. I'm like, oh, shoot, I'm about to lose my job. So I'm teaching, literally, in the middle of a lesson, the secretary comes to my room and she's like, Ms. Tiffany, you have a call in the office. And I'm thinking about my family first. Like, why would she be interrupting this lesson? Because I have a call. Thinking somebody's hurt in my family. So I stop teaching, leave the classroom, I'm walking up the hall, and I just have all of these thoughts going on in my head, like, who is on the other end of this phone? So I picked up the phone, hello? And it's the superintendent. Hey, Tiffany, how you doing? Hoping everything is well. I'm just calling to, I forget how he said it, something like, I'm just calling to 
you know, let you that you have a job with us next year and we are prepared to keep you. But I just need to know right now, are you planning on staying or are you leaving? Like, what are you doing? I need to know your answer now. We're, we're going to make sure that we keep you. And I just thought about Alton. I thought about being broke, being at home, <laughs> being unhappy, just being completely lifeless. I'm just like numb living. And I said, well, no, actually, uh, I've been thinking about teaching abroad. I said, no, I'm, I'm not. Actually, no, I'm not going to come back next year. And he said, okay. So I hung, I, at that point, I hadn't even been, I hadn't even started researching, <laughs> like, what is this teaching abroad? I hadn't even started researching it. But after that call, I was like, all right, Tiff, so you just lost a job. Like you told the superintendent that you were not coming back. So that means you're not coming back. So get on it. And that's when I started researching, of course. And it was right at the time. There's a international teaching recruiting fair that happens in Iowa, the University of Northern Iowa, every year, I believe. And it was like that January, February time because it was a blizzard. And my grandmother and I actually drove from Alton to Iowa to do this international recruiting fair. And it's a weekend of you're just meeting with different directors who are representing different schools, probably had like six interviews in one weekend. I remember talking to the director from Venezuela, Casablanca, Morocco, Thailand. And then at the end, I ended up getting hired to go to Casablanca, Morocco. And I worked the remainder of that year. And I had my good way. I had my going away party from Moro, which was the town that I was working in at the time, which is Interesting how the universe works, but Moro is M-O-R-O, and Morocco is M-O-R-O-C-C-O. So I named my going away party from Moro to Morocco, and I left. Tiffany has gone from thinking she's going to do Peace Corps to staying in her home state to teach to quickly burning out of that experience and deciding to work in education abroad. And I had to ask her, what did her family think of this decision? I was just talking to a friend about it the other day. And I said, something, because I've heard people describe, like coming from a middle-class family, people assume that you automatically have opportunities right? Because you're from this middle-class family, this, this, and this. And I was kind of pushing back against that because I said, actually, I think coming from a lower-class family allows you to have more opportunities because every time I'm talking to people who are from these middle-class, even elite, even these elite families, I hear about all of these restrictions, like their parents are, this is who we are, this is what we do, these are your opportunities, if you don't do this, we'll cut you off, we'll cut you out of the family. It's like all of these restrictions to live, you're not taught how to be free, you're not taught to make decisions, you're not taught to go out in the world and live, right? You're, you're taught to be part of this mold, which is determined by the family's expectations, religion, lived experience, the status that they're trying to live up to. But coming from a lower class family, I feel like since I've been an adult, like my family has been my number one support system. And it's always, what's Tiffany going to do next? But the, the interesting thing, and I have to be mindful about how I say this because it's not anything negative. It's just life experience. 
But when I decided to go to college, it was actually my mom who was trying to put a few restrictions on me. So when I say I'm a first-gen college student, it's my matriarch side of the family. On my patriarch side of the family, I do have two aunts that have gone to college. So Northern Illinois was the college that my eldest aunt graduated from, and she had a bit of influence on me deciding to go there. So when I finally got accepted, because the first time I applied, I didn't get accepted. But when I finally got accepted, my mother was the first one to tell me that I couldn't go, right? Not that I shouldn't, but I couldn't. And she said, if you want to go to college, there's a community college up the street. One of the principals at that school, at, at my high school, was influencing her. Ms. Pitts already said she can get you a scholarship, but you go right up the street. And I remember telling her, no, that I'm going to Northern and going. <laughs> and being from a lower class background, I was able to use my father's information, which allowed me to get student loan for the FAFSA, all that stuff. So I'm saying that to say when I decided to go to South Africa to study abroad, who was the first person to tell me that I couldn't go? My mom's mom, my grandma. I know you already didn't went up there to to you to uh, DeKalb, Illinois. What you need to leave the country for? You didn't already left. All. And I remember just like I appreciate it, but I'm going. And I don't know where this braveness comes from. That's why I'm just like. It's, it, it's definitely something to do with the universe because there's never been fear and it's always just been this excitement to experience something new. So it was college first. No, you can't go. I'm going. And then it was study abroad. No, you can't go. Okay, I'm going. And by the time Casablanca came around, it was like, Tiff gonna do what she want to do regardless. I asked Tiffany to describe her experience when she finally left the U.S. to go to Morocco, how she felt when she landed in the country, and what was her overall experience that first year? Going to Casablanca was very similar to leaving for university. And by the time I got to Casablanca, it's, it's funny because I remember getting off the plane in Abu Dhabi when I came here to work. But I don't remember Casablanca. I don't remember. I remember the first couple of weeks because the school had organized just like some tours for us to be able to see Casa and to drive around. I was surprised at how developed Casablanca was, but it was only in like pocketed areas. I mean, Morocco in general is very, how do I say it? You're either rich or you're poor period. <laughs> I think many of the expats are more of that middle class, but I had no reservations. The thing about Morocco is it is a French and Arabic speaking country, period. That's it. You go into a restaurant, the menu is in French. You go into a taxi, you need to know the name of the street or the plate. Like if you're going to the train station, I think you had to say that in French. You go to the grocery store, things are in French or in Arabic. So I actually started learning Arabic. I, I was definitely learning French. Like French was the survival. You had to have French anywhere. But the Arabic was the language. So I'm trying to learn Arabic. And I was doing well. I was doing very well <laughs> for the longest time. And my French was good. So I worked at the Casablanca American School. And goodness, I can say that it's beautiful. 
it was beautiful for me. But if you look at it in the grand scheme of the country, it is an opportunity that is privileged to some. And I mean, a very small amount of some. The Casablanca American School is exactly what it is. It's an American school. Curriculum, instruction. I mean, it was no transition. It was what I was doing in the States. I'm going to do it here. And the resources changed. The curriculum may have changed. But once once you get your training in teaching, which is the combination of the theory and the practice, pedagogy, you going into this 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 space, you have your standards, your benchmarks, how you're teaching them, you're collaborating with other folks. It's Once you learn the space, you can change the curriculum and I'll just learn the curriculum and I'll teach it. You can change the standards and benchmarks, right? Every state is different. Every district may even be different. But tell me what these kids need to know by December. I'll make sure I get them there. So that's the part that I always have to say is near and dear to my heart because when I hear folks who are just like, yeah, I think I'll just go into teaching tomorrow and then I'll just start teaching next month. It's like, no, I committed five years of my life to being trained, right? And I'm early childhood, so so down to the to the minute letter sound. How are we going to connect these letters to make words, to form meaning, all this stuff? So it was one of those things where the only thing that changed was the the students, one, and then the place of where I was teaching. But the thing about Casablanca American School is it's not a lot of expat kids. It really, it mainly is elite Moroccans. And I mean, I would watch these kids, goodness, it, it, it still warms my heart. I would watch these kids like speak to me in English, speak to a parent in Arabic, speak to a, another child in French, coming from this very monolithic way of speaking, doing. I mean, I, I think America just lacks texture, right? Like it's you're either this or you're not, right? There is no space to embrace differences, I'll say. But in Morocco, I was just completely torn back. Like, oh my goodness, it's, it's just amazing. Absolutely amazing. The parents... So I guess people people would have different opinions about this, but the parents' view of education was they they loved and respected and really appreciated teachers because what we were doing for their families was giving their kids opportunities to fill in the blank. And it could be to access a particular university in another country, which would allow the student to go and get educated, come back. I mean, it's it's a nasty conversation the way that education is being sold nowadays and the value that's put on what type of education you have. It's a it's a system that I'm like, I know, I know. But at the same time, there, there are certain parts that I'm even part of. I'm in it. I'm going to different countries selling this language, selling this, well, being paid for this language, being paid for this training that I have to educate youth and give them opportunities, global opportunities, I'll say. But the parents appreciated the, the teachers to the point where they actually, in certain grades, not mine, <laughs> but the, the school had to enforce rules to prevent teachers from accepting gifts from the parents. And it was always like during particular times, like Christmas, you'd hear of, of teachers getting like iPhones and trips and all of these amazing things. And this is not just like surface, like here's the gift, change a grade. It's 
here's a gift. And I know that you're here by yourself. So I'm going to do a Thanksgiving meal, even though I don't even celebrate Thanksgiving, I'm going to do a meal at my house. And I want you and bring a couple of your friends to come and celebrate with me. Like it was like a family. And it, I know it wasn't that for everybody. I know it wasn't. And, and I will, I will say this because this is my experience whether it's Northern Africa or in the Middle East, I think folks of color have more of a connection. Like it's this solidarity and in, in brownness. But in comparison to some of the experiences other folks were having, I was embraced. First year and second year, it was amazing. But what, what happened was it was very political and some of the politics started coming to the surface and folks were in the local paper for embezzlement and corruption and all this stuff. So when it was time to go, it was time to go. But Morocco is not the safest country either. And I just got tired of watching my front and back, side and side, surveillancing, policing, don't leave the house after this time. It's like that bittersweet, like when you're in this amazing experience amongst chaos, like where we were, we were protected because we worked for the school and the families that we worked with were elite to where we had particular privileges. But outside of the school, outside of those families, you can't, you can't be walking around with your tail between your legs because folks will, they'll, they'll try you. <laughs> I was, I call it attempted muggery. I was attempted to be mugged twice, purse snatches or trying to take the purses and phones and all that stuff. But it's sad because it really is a reflection of the economic status as well of some of some, because like I said, it's very rich and it's very poor and you see the divide. You all know that here on this podcast, we've talked about financial wellness in various episodes, like in the episode with Lisa, Managing a Global Lifestyle. If you haven't checked that out, go to the episodes section of the website and check out Lisa's episode where she just dropped so many gems on all the things you really need to consider about managing your finances abroad. One of the things that she mentioned was holding a multi-currency account. And for some of you, you may not know what a multi-currency account is or even how to get one. Never fear because dun, 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 TransferWise is here. Yes, TransferWise is sponsoring this portion of the episode. And TransferWise is an online account that lets you send money, get money, and spend money internationally. With a TransferWise account, you can send money abroad, get paid in other currencies, and spend abroad on the TransferWise debit card. So banks and other providers often set their own unfriendly exchange rates. And that means that you pay more than you need to. And of course, they pocket the difference. At TransferWise, they never mark up the exchange rate and you will always get the real mid-market exchange rate. I have been using TransferWise for the entirety of my time abroad and I've always had a really great experience with TransferWise. I have been able to move money 
from my American account to my Spanish account and back and forth. I've been able to pay bills and landlords and things like that through TransferWise directly. And I've been able to receive funds as well with no problem and oftentimes super quickly, like within an hour or a few hours. So if you do not have a TransferWise account, Try it out today and utilize the Flourish in the Foreign link to do so at no extra charge for you, but it does help to support this here podcast. You can find the link to TransferWise on our website, www.flourishintheforeign.com resources. You'll find a link in the bio of all these social media channels that Flourish and Foreign is on. You'll also find it on the show notes page of this here episode as well. So after two years in Morocco, I decided to come to Abu Dhabi. So when I decided that I was done um, teaching in Morocco, I made the decision that I was ready to go back to school. At this point, I have my master's degree and I had been working in Morocco for two years. So I'm like, well, why not go back to school? Go go for the PhD because you've always said you wanted it. So I applied to six universities and I didn't get accepted into any. And I'm smiling because I still remember my grandpa saying, well, damn, Tiff, if you're not applying to like Harvard and all these big schools, like, why don't you apply to a regular school? And then maybe you could have got accepted. But I was applying to where the money was. And it was those new programs. I still remember reading about Harvard's program because it was all about practitioner teachers. And this, they had this cohort of folks that they were, they were going to work with them for a span of five years. And it was fully funded. And I'm like, yeah, that's perfect for me. So I applied. I didn't get accepted into any. So at the last minute, because this is, I mean, recruitment season is pretty much, I would say maybe January to May, like for the, for the next year, recruitment season is well into the previous year. So I had missed recruitment season because all that time I, I had spent applying to schools. I sent out emails directly to schools because I had missed all of the recruitment conferences. And then Morocco is not the best space to be flying different places from because I know like there were there were actually a few conferences happening in Dubai at that point. And I wasn't looking at Dubai as a place to work, but a lot of the agencies will have conferences here in Dubai. And you can just fly over. And I think it's pretty much similar to what I did at the University of Northern Iowa, just a weekend full of interviews with school directors who represent the world, right? Different international schools amongst the world. And then you just come and hope to get hired, but they're everywhere. Anyway, I missed that season. So I ended up applying directly to the schools. And from those direct emails, I had an interview with a school in Malaysia and they hired me. I had an interview with a school in Dubai. She hired me. I had an interview with a school in Abu Dhabi. They hired me. And this is all within, I would say, two weeks. I remember I was traveling with a friend and I did an interview in the hotel bathroom. I remember this on Skype. Oh, my goodness. And she was in the room watching TV. And I'm like, girl, I got to go do this interview. Set my laptop up in the bathroom. Because she was watching TV. The only reason I didn't go to Malaysia was because in Casablanca, they set me up with an apartment. I had a two-bedroom apartment to myself. And 
the contract for Malaysia had all of this, this writing basically saying that I would have to find my own apartment and they would give me money and I could figure it out. They would give me a real estate agent and, you know, they could help me find an apartment. And all of that was like gibberish to me. Like, I don't understand this. This It's too difficult already. I don't want to (laughs) go. So that's the reason I said no to. So yeah, I decided to come on over to Abu Dhabi and the transition was easy. It was fine. I mean, at the, at that point, it, it was like, it's not bright and shiny anymore. It's, it's a career. A new adventure, but it was a career shift. It was just a country shift, just doing the same thing somewhere else. But what I remember most about Abu Dhabi is get it coming out of the airport, and it was like somebody turned the oven on. It was hot, hot. I mean, hot, hot. <laughs> But yeah, the school was amazing, ASA, American International School of Abu Dhabi. And at the time, which I know things have changed, but one of the differences in that contract was I had to have a roommate. And for the two years, two and a half years that I worked with them, I had a roommate, which was different from Casablanca and different from many of the schools out here. I'm not in international education, but I've interviewed a lot of people that are. And I've seen on a lot of different threads and forums that a lot of people are very hyped to go abroad and teach abroad because the salaries are amazing and teachers are living like kings and queens, which is all very interesting to me. So I had to ask Tiffany about the teaching contracts and the salary of these international educator positions. Do they really live up to the hype? Are they that amazing? It's interesting because, so so I'll compare Morocco to Illinois first. The salary was actually lower in Morocco. Like I, it, I, but I wouldn't call it, I didn't take a pay cut, right? Because oftentimes when you're offered a contract from these international schools, international American schools, whatever, they offer you a tax-free salary, but that's not the case for Morocco. So the, the, it may say that it's tax-free, but you still have to pay Moroccan taxes, which is not the case for many countries. Morocco was its own thing. So basically, my salary didn't change. Like I said, there was a bit of a cut. But when you have your housing paid for, when you have your flights, right? You get a round-trip flight every year. When you have your medical insurance paid for, you have a retirement set up. That's extra money. And the price of living in Morocco was cheap, cheap, cheap. And and it's cheap to the sense because even where I lived, there was like a vegetable market near me. So it wasn't like I was always having to go to the to the store. I had the vegetable market right there, everything just cheap. So it's not necessarily that I made more money. I think the benefits that I received allowed me to save more money. And one of the things that a lot of people don't realize about working abroad as well is, so I had student loans. And even to this day, the majority of my student loans are from my undergraduate degree. Even when I was doing my master's, I was getting, how do they call it, tuition waivers? Because many of the teachers that were getting student teachers in their classrooms, they would get these three credit tuition waivers to the university and they never used it. So they would give them to me because they knew I was in a master's program. So All of my student loans are from undergrad, but living abroad, you get on this program called the Income-Based Repayment Program, and 
all of the money that you make outside of the states are, is not income because it's outside of the states. So on this income-based repayment pl- program, I'm basically like my income in the states is zero because I'm not making money in the states. So what I have to pay toward my loans every month is zero because I'm not working in the states. So it's still within, I want to say 10, 15 years after you're on that program, your student loans are forgiven. I think there is some tax things. I know Trump has changed a lot of the things that are happening with student loans. But yeah, I had a lot more money to play with in Morocco. And and it wasn't that I was intending like to to save so much money. I think the money allowed me to be able to travel, allowed me to be able to have this whole different experience. And you're working. So it's not like you just have so much time that you're just splurging. It it was it was completely fine. I mean, I I didn't have any financial issues in Morocco. It was completely different. And even comparing that to Abu Dhabi, which is a different space. And I'm going to talk about my own experience because you're absolutely right when people look at the UAE as if they're offering these very lucrative salaries. And for a certain time, they were. They were. I mean, teachers were making like six, $7,000 a month. Teaching in the government schools, though, which is very different from the school that I worked for because I worked in an international school. And my money at the international school was more. It was actually tax-free. You don't pay taxes here. The housing was paid for, but like I said, I had a roommate. You got your round-trip flight. I was still on the income-based repayment program. So the money, I left here with a good cushion in my pocket, but not not what they're making in the government schools. So compared to my experience in the States, yes, teaching abroad has been very nice to me. Tiffany has come to a crossroads in her life that leads her to leave Abu Dhabi. And I asked her what was going on in her heart and mind at that time? And what was she seeking in her life? And why did she feel like she needed to leave Abu Dhabi to get it? Yeah. So what I have to say, I have to be honest. So I've lived my years and it hasn't been on purpose, but my adult years, I've been living in these two-year stints. So after I graduated from university, I worked in Illinois for two years, left Illinois, went to Morocco for two years, came to left Morocco and came to Abu Dhabi for two years. So I did my two years. And rather than leaving, like I usually do, I decided that I was going to stay. And I don't know why I did that because I just messed up my whole flow and routine, right? It's like change. You have to be changing. So I ended up staying a third year. And I just remember even when I showed up, it wasn't hidden. Like teaching abroad was not shiny and bright and it wasn't amazing like it used to be. And at that point, I was getting ready to turn 30. But it was my best school year. I was teaching first grade because I knew something was off. So I even talked to my principal. I was like, I've been teaching KG1 for two years. I just need something different. That first grade position is opening up. Can I go to that first grade position? Yep, go ahead, Tiff. You can go. Went to first grade. Because I had worked in KG1 for two years, I, I got some of my kids back from my first year. So I was teaching them in first grade amazing. The curriculum was great. Amazing. I had never taught first grade before. And it's like my 
perfect grade. The kids were amazed. I was learning. We were doing all these new iPad initiatives. But I was turning 30. I was not dating. I, I, I told myself, okay, you out here playing. Why everybody else living? You out here teaching abroad and playing. You need to go back home and, and be serious about your life. So I ended up quitting in the middle of the school year. And it was like, yeah, I can't do this because I'm about to be 30. I fell into this depression. And it's like, how could you be around so many beautiful things and just feel so empty and void inside? I always tell the story. I opened my window one morning and because like, most of the places here, you'll have those very dark curtains. And I opened the window and I looked outside and I was like, sunny again. Like, why do I feel cloudy inside? And it's still sunny outside. Like I, I was just going through it. So I quit. I did wait. I, I transitioned another teacher into my class. And then I went back to the drawing board with applying for PhD programs. And some of the, the universities that rejected me before, I applied again and got rejected again. But this time, out of the six, I was accepted into two PhD programs. So one was at Illinois State University in Bloomington, Illinois. I also got accepted at the University of Minnesota in the Organizational Leadership Policy and Development Program. And that's what I decided to go with. Bloomington is a rural town, at least me thinking about it because I know it does have a city vibe. It's like Alton where I'm from. But I was like, yeah, Illinois, I'm done. <laughs> I've done you. So I need something different. And in my mind, Minneapolis was like a proper city, right? I had never lived there before. Like they have a train. So I'm like, okay, it's a city. You got a train downtown. It's a city. So I moved there in 2016. And I have been a PhD student for the past four years. I'm going into my fifth year. I'm, so the amazing part about this story is that my my years abroad <laughs> and the experiences and things that I have done or embodied, I'll say, for my nearly five years abroad has turned into my dissertation study, which examines teacher turnover through African-American teachers who left the U.S. K-12 system to teach in the UAE. And I've been here for the past year. <laughs> I came here for data collection last September. And then when COVID hit, I decided to stay. I was supposed to go back in May. But rather than going back home, I'm here. I'm here living my best life. Being in the UAE this time around has been bittersweet, I'll say. It's amazing because when I lived here in Abu Dhabi, I really didn't get outside of Abu Dhabi. Like I would go to Dubai sometimes, but many people who live in the UAE, you're, you're one or the other. You're either Dubai or you're either Abu Dhabi, right? You, you pick your side. And I picked Abu Dhabi because it was more like a suburb. Dubai is the city city. But this time around, I'm actually here in Ras al which is the most northern emirate before you go to Oman. So this is more of like a town, like where I'm from. It's big. It's, it's, it's large. But like from my window, I'm looking at the mountains. The temperature is completely different. It rains a lot here. 
I would say it's it's just more of like the family oriented feel. Like it, you can feel it. It feels like culture. Dubai isn't culture. It, it's it's not. And Abu Dhabi is culture, but now they're changing things. So it has been a big difference because I have. I'm having a better time here on my dissertation research than I did working here. And it's because it's a it's a type of freedom that you can look at as a curse or a blessing. It's a blessing in the midst of COVID because everybody has to learn new skills about working from home, being in these virtual spaces for long amounts of time creating deadlines and delegating and holding yourself accountable. And these are things that I've never really had to learn for myself. So I think me learning it in the midst of everybody else learning it, it's, it's like, oh, it's probably not a big deal. But the other side of it, it just feels like very isolated and very lonely at times. Because like when you're working in a company or you're working in a school right here, they, they, the students had the choice if they wanted to go virtual or if they wanted to go physical into the school. So school did open and some, some have closed because of the cases and all that stuff, but some have opened. So with me not being connected with a school, it limits my community, right? The people who I see as community. So I am like an outsider now. I am here on a fellowship. They are sponsoring my research and I'm interviewing teachers who work for schools, but the folks who are in the school, that's their community. I'm not part of their community. I'm an outsider. So it's completely different. The experience that I'm having here now is completely different from my experience of when I was teaching here. Tiffany is a fellow black woman podcaster. Whoop, whoop. And her podcast is called Abroad in Education. It is a wonderful podcast. If you have not listened to it, you need to go ahead and do that. I asked Tiffany to talk about why she created Abroad in Education and what it's all about. So Abroad in Education is a podcast that unpacks the international suitcase through interviews with Ed Pats, E-D-P-A-T-S. And EDPATs are expatriates who work in education outside of their home countries. Abroad in Education is my baby. And she's been growing for two years. Baby steps, baby steps. But it's Abroad in Education basically came out of trying to explain myself to professors, to people in my program, to trying to develop research questions. Like I'm telling people about this amazing experience that I've had abroad. Oh, I've been teaching abroad. I, I was teaching in Casablanca, Morocco. I was teaching in Abu Dhabi, UAE. And now here I am in Minneapolis, Minnesota, trying to tell you about my experience. So much of the response from the professors, from people is like, oh, you were in Peace Corps. No, I wasn't in Peace Corps, actually. <laughs> I was teaching. Oh, you were in the military. No, I wasn't in the military. I was teaching, right? And I'm like, so these, there's these international schools in the world who recruit, like, it, it's, it's funny because the Brits know all about this. The Irish folks know all about this world. 
the many people in, in the European spaces, I'll say, know all about this international space. But Americans, even Canadians, it's, it's a few of them too. It's not a lot of North Americans here. But we are either intentionally not talking about it because I, I would say if it is intentional, it's because of our own teacher shortage and everything that's happening in the States. But anyway, it's a conversation not being had, which is how a broad education was developed, because what I wanted to do is really not tell my own story, but share the stories of other folks who have experienced this international space and, and not even limiting it to teaching abroad, because I mean, South Korea is the epitome of what, it, what, what I think Black folks can do in these international spaces. And I use South Korea as an example because I read about these like in blogs and on their on Facebook and all of these different spaces. I read about how they're doing Black Lives Matter protests and vigils and police brutality in the States. They're bringing Black folks together in solidarity with Koreans and they're giving, giving space to Blackness abroad. I don't see that here in the UAE. And some of it is intentional. But anyway, the podcast is a space to bring those stories to the forefront, bring those stories to people, right? You don't even have to leave the States to know that there are spaces where Black folks are thriving abroad. And I've been reading a lot of Bell Hooks lately, and she has this, this challenge, I'll say. She said, we need to think about the imagination subversively. So she's like, how can we decolonize people's imaginations? And I've taken that thought and pretty much situated it in my vision for the podcast. I said, yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to decolonize imaginations through diverse stories from diverse migrants about these experiences abroad. And then it also connects to my dissertation research where I'm, I'm titling my dissertation, Discovering Roots, emphasize the dis, right? I put parentheses around the dis because it's not discovery as in like Christopher Columbus, like, oh, this is something new. It's a phenomenon. It's interesting. It's like, no, this is not new. We're, we're uncovering something that's been covered because we know the James Baldwins. We know the Nina Simones. We know the Josephine Bakers. We know... Black folks who have been exiled and pushed out of the states for various reasons or having to escape to be safe somewhere. And I'm like, yeah, this is probably the first generation of Black migrants who can call themselves expats because they're moving at their own will. I'm just choosing. I'm bored. I, I love this person's Instagram page. Wow, I would love to go there. I'm going to go and teach there. Or there's an opportunity there. I'm going to go and do this. So I'm saying we're discovering, discovering, but then it's roots, R-O-U-T-E-S, roots, pathways, directions, all of these different places. So Broadnet is, is basically a space where I can kind of grapple with some of these thoughts and imaginations and people's voices and folks that are studying this and bring forward resources. So I had to ask this because this has quickly become one of the most popular questions and episodes that is dating abroad. So I had to ask Tiffany, what has been her experience dating abroad? I asked her because she specifically has been quite transparent in regard to this on her own podcast. She has an episode where she really delves into her experience dating abroad. And I'll let her tell you 
all about it. Oh my goodness. Yeah, so I have to decide if I'm going to be honest or if I'm going to tell a lie. One of the things about podcasting, it's hmm, it's such a liberating space because one of the things that I always want to bring through in my space is this authenticity, this notion of authenticity. Like I'm literally bringing stories, bringing stories. And I think there's something empowering about being able to live and tell your stories. So I am going to tell this because hopefully it'll encourage some of y'all to go and listen to the podcast if you feel so inclined. (laughs) But my dating life abroad has been an effing mess. And I recently experienced a romance fraud. I, I talked about it in episode 43 on Abroad in Education. So I have been on and off about these dating apps. And sometimes sometimes you just feel like, I'm good. I just want to be out. I want to be meeting people face to face. And then other times it's like, what? I'm not out. So let me just try this dating app. So... Around March, near my birthday, I decided to get on a dating app and I met this guy. Of course, I have to give the condensed short story, but I met a guy who was from Nigeria. I do have to be honest, though, because many of the parts in the podcast I fabricated. I had to. And, And I also will mention, of course, it comes through, but I never say the country that I'm in. I never say his real name because... One of the things about particular countries is the the laws, the laws that you have that you're held up to. And it comes through. I mean, it is what it is, but hey, I just I'll mention that. So yeah, he this man scammed me all the way through, up and down, and he, he created this whole life of a lie. And it was such a beautiful life. I really hope that he eventually does get to live the life that he lied so much about because it wasn't just us. It wasn't just us on this app communicating. Like we were dating, we were with each other. He was in my space. I was in his space. I really thought I was building a relationship with this guy. So things started intuition, the universe speaking. This man started showing up in my dreams. All of this crazy stuff started happening. And I look at myself as a very intelligent person. So my Olivia Benson turned on, I'm like, perp search SVU, who is this man? And I found out that he lied about his name, which is why when I did my original Google search, nothing came up. But when I did my follow-up search, everything was revealed. And he had actually been deported out of Canada for I was really hurt by in this situation. And I, I, I'm very, I'm, I'm, I've been, how do I say it? I've been molded not to read the comments because what I did was I actually sent an article to uh, Travel Noir and the article was published in their space as well. And then I did the podcast episode. So the story has been shared. And some of the comments that I did get a chance to glimpse over was always this notion about girls being fill in the blank, whatever. But one of the things that really made me uncomfortable about him, or at least the situation, was that he was able to fake himself. And I just thought, and I'll say as an African-American, 
right? There's certain pieces of an identity that you can't take off. You have to live it. We're forced to live it. Like, I can't choose to be something other than I am. And I think that's just my morals and values about the world. So I can't turn off me or replace me with some fabricated story. I can't do that. And I just really feel like he cheated. Like, you can't just change yourself and create this whole new person. So I would say out of all of my dating experiences abroad, like that one takes the cake. And it was recent. So it's still a lot of emotional baggage in it and distrust. I've tried. I thought about getting back on Bumble. I actually did start another account, but there's still some trauma in there where I'm like looking at everybody, scammer, 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 you're a scammer. So yeah, it's some work that has to be done, but I guess dating can be fun abroad. It's, It's interesting, I'll say, with just cultural differences, language differences. What is a date? Where are you going? How are you going to do it? But yeah, I think I'm good for now. (laughs) For now, I'm just taking a break. I asked Tiffany where she saw herself in the foreseeable future. This is what I've been grappling with, and I'll say particularly in the Black community, because the mantra of the Black community has always been go to school, so that you can get a good job, right? And and it's not necessarily something that is limited to my generation. This idea of education for upward economic and social mobility has really been like what we've relied on. And I think about my undergrad experience where I was like, okay, I did it. I did it. And then the fruits of it was like, okay, this is it? Really? And then I got my master's. I did it. I did it. And then the fruits of it was like, okay, this is a lie. <laughs> like this, this thing with upward mobility, like that's a lie. So then coming abroad, it was like, if I'm not in school, I'm working in a school. So now I'm working in a school abroad. I did it. I did it. Okay. That was cute for a couple of years. I enjoyed it. I had fun. Okay. Now I'm done. I'm burned out. So what do I do? I go back into school. Now I'm a student again. I did it. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. And now that this phase is almost done, I'm going to go back into the world knowing that there is a burnout date for whatever it is that I decide to do. And rather than always being a runner, and I was telling my meditation teacher the other day, we were working on the root chakra. And she was like, yep, and this is where you feel rooted and this, this, and this. And then we went to the sacral chakra and she's like, yep, this is your ability to change. And sometimes people avoid change. I say, yeah, but what about the people who avoid stagnant, like being stagnant? Like if I don't have change, even something as simple as changing the bedroom around, (laughs) if I don't have change, I'm not well. So now I think the question is, how do I commit, commit to a space, a job, a family, all those things. And I want it. I do. Not because of the societal narrative. It's just, I want it. I asked Tiffany, what is her definition of wellness? And how had living abroad influenced that definition and practice of wellness for her? Yeah. And that's the thing. I'm, I'm in this stage of trying to make sure that my words match my actions. Because living abroad is not as romanticized, as beautiful and peachy as people oftentimes paint it to be. 
living abroad is isolating. And, and this is speaking about my own experience, of course, because, and let me say, this is speaking about my experience from now, because I felt isolated in Minnesota. And this is pretty much, it was a new city, new program, new people, but you just kind of learn how to navigate it. It's always like seeking community as well. But coming abroad, it's like, it's isolating in a different way, in a different way. Because if I feel isolated in Minnesota, I can go home, right? I can drive home. I can call up somebody real quick. I can do what I need to do as far as like building this imagined community. But here, there's a nine-hour time difference, right? It's, it's just me. And then it's a bit of strength that I carry that I don't want to let go of. And that is always having my vigilance up, right? I'm a woman in a country by myself. Like there's certain things that I just can't be like, yeah, I'm good. I know he'll, he got my back. He'll take care of me. So I'm always on guard. I think Morocco did that to me. So I do call myself a very spiritual person. And I do, like right now I'm in a two-week it, the 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 focus I'll say it's called new moon new me. So with this new moon that just came up, it's a series of meditation yoga. The other day we did a sister circle, which was amazing. We wrote down our intentions. Well, we wrote down our accomplishments for the year. We wrote down some of the things that prevent us from doing the things that we'd like to do. Whether it's confidence, whether it's taking off a lot of those stereotypes and assumptions about who you are. And then we wrote the things that we still want to accomplish in this year. And then the things that we want to kind of move toward. And then we did the sister circle and we talked about it. And and then we did a campfire and we burned it. And that was our way of giving all of those issues to the universe. And then also welcoming those issues from, I'm sorry, welcoming this new way of uh, living and being and thinking from the universe. So I I definitely meditate. I definitely try to give myself quiet space. It's hard to oftentimes match my words with my practices because I do have a lot of things to work through. And it is finding value in myself, being proud of the things that I'm doing, pushing myself forward, all those things. I have a vision wall, not a vision board. I have a vision wall. (laughs) Even now I have all these quotes. I do my 21 days of abundance. I believe in wellness and mental wellness. I have a therapist. I believe in the practice of it, but I have to match it with my words. It's like you can do all of these different things, but if you're not embodying it and actually bringing it out of the moment into your everyday, then it, that then that's all it is, is a practice, right? A 30-minute practice, a five-minute practice. But I really have to find how do I bridge these practices with the way that I think and really start embodying it in the way that I engage with people, the way that I think about people, the way that I think about myself, self-compassion, all those different things. Thank you so much, Tiffany, for sharing your insights and just being so transparent and, and so real. I appreciate you. If you all enjoyed this episode and you want to stay connected with Tiffany, you can via social media. So if you're interested in listening to the podcast, the website is abroadineducation.com and you can follow me at abroad underscore N-I-N underscore ed, E-D. 
across IG, Twitter, um, Facebook. Thank you again, Tiffany, and thank you all so much for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about Tiffany, and if you want to see some pictures and read her entire bio, check out her show notes page, which can be found on the Flourish in the Foreign website. Yes, just go to www.flourishintheforeign.com slash episodes slash Tiffany, and you can learn more about her. All right. So as I mentioned before, be sure that you are subscribed to the Flourish in the Foreign YouTube channel. I'm going to be bringing you guys more and more dope interviews on the YouTube channel, right? So the podcast, I feel, is inspirational and insightful, and I just feel like such a good time. I really enjoy these conversations. The YouTube channel, of course, is the same, same vein, but the YouTube channel, we're really getting down to the nitty-gritty, in my opinion. We're really getting down to some practical how-tos. We're talking to experts. We're asking people to walk us through different types of experiences and different types of processes. That's what the YouTube channel is for. So if you haven't subscribed yet, go ahead and do so. I'm going to be shifting from my IG live format to the YouTube live, but don't worry. I'm probably still going to go live on IG, but I am going to definitely be pumping up the YouTube. And I think y'all going to enjoy these next interviews I have. I see that you guys really enjoy talking about getting to the money, getting to the bag, and which I think is wonderful. I think it's wonderful. I think sometimes we think that talking about money must be framed in a capitalist framework or a materialistic framework or an imperialistic framework. And I don't think that at all. And I have several people who I think will change your mind or make you think differently about that. And they're going to help you get your money right. Yeah. They're going to help you get your money right and make it really easy for you to actually have some actionable steps to go ahead and do that. Like as soon as you watch the video, you're going to be able to do it. And that's what it's all about. It's not about being abroad, y'all. It's about thriving abroad. Y'all know how I feel about it. I'm not about just getting abroad to say I live in Paris or I live in Cambodia. No, we must be thriving abroad because, look... If you're not willing to do the work to cultivate a life well lived for yourself, if you're not willing to be an active participant in your own life, then stay home. Yeah, I'm going to just go ahead and say that. Just stay home because going to a new place, arriving in the airport with your arms wide open is not going to magically change your life. You got to get your hands dirty. You got to be an active participant. Yes, yes. All right, I'll step off my soapbox right now. And always a big thank you to Zachary Higgs who produced the music for this podcast. I appreciate you, sir. If you're looking for music for your podcast, definitely hit him up. He is amazing. You can find his information in the show notes of this here episode. All right, that is it for this episode. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Again, if you did, support this podcast by becoming a Patreon, by cash apping, by reviewing, by doing all the things. And until next time...
Remember, it's not about getting abroad. It's not about being abroad. It's about thriving abroad. Yes? Okay. So go abroad and cultivate a life well lived. See you next time. Bye. On the next episode of Flourish in the Foreign. I've always had a saying, my whole adult life, really, is expectations leads to disappointment. So when you put yourself into this expected box, oh, I expect this place, country will be like this, and my life abroad will be this way, then you're really setting yourself up for disappointment. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't set intentions. You can always be intentional in the way you move. But try not to have so many expectations just to go forward, to be present in the moment because you cannot control the future. You don't know what happens and anything can shift where it can change the trajectory of your abroad career or you moving abroad.